I spoke a little while ago about being hearers and doers of the word. Um, part of that is really grappling with the application of it. And I was very gratified this week um, that Sylvia, who um, we do draw on uh, some of the richness and expertise that she has, but she communicated with me uh, with some questions about this uh, use of the tongue, power of the tongue. Remember last week I talked about the fact that it has a very uh, powerful, positive potential influence as we use it. And equally, we have to make sure that we don't give that over to the enemy in murmuring and gossip, which is the very negative side of it. And it was important to get the positive and the negative. And then uh, there was a, a kind of uh, discussion, interview. I don't know, what, what do you call that thing that Jamie did with uh, um, Zach and... Drama, sketch, yes. Uh, so there were some questions uh, that kind of came up through that that uh, Sylvia helped us with. And so we're just going to quickly look at those before we get into sharing what God's got further for us today. So, right. If gossip... Is it gossip if Jacob is Zach's mentor or leader? What I'm interested in... Um, is if, when you thought about it, did you in any way come up with questions like this? Because I want to try and give... You did, all right. Uh, that's two people did, so that's good. And Sylvia, so that's three. And four, yeah, it's all right, yeah. Uh, is it gossip if Jacob is Zach's mentor or leader? Uh, it depends. <laughs> it depends. Uh, you see, what we've got to get hold of here is so, it, it's so easy. So if, if I said to Nathan, um, do you know it's Richard's birthday next week? I'm talking about Richard behind his back. So is that gossip? See, what's the motive the issue is the motive of heart. So if I'm saying, yeah, well, he's getting a year older and he's really getting past it or he needs to grow up or something, if that's what's inside, it's contaminating. If it's to advise him, Nathan, don't forget because Richard will cry if you don't remember his birthday, then it's a positive. So the motivation there is really important. And remember that man looks on the outward appearance, but God's always looking at the heart. Uh, you can put it in the sweetest of words, but God knows what's on the inside. And actually, here's the interesting thing. The sweetness of words never actually covers any sourness that's right there because we communicate what we are. So what, is the, what was the purpose of it? Um, and uh, if it's just to break down or run down, then it, yes, it is. If it's to try and help, then that's a different thing. Right, another one. Uh, what were the opportunities Jacob had to challenge the message and motive of Zach? 
What were the opportunities? All right, well, I guess he could have flagged that, hey, this conversation is, um, is making me uncomfortable. This, this something doesn't feel right about that. Uh, then what is he doing? He's not, he's not trying to sort of point the finger. He's, first of all, being honest, and then he's actually saying, you know, I think giving him the benefit of a discomfort that he's feeling in his spirit. Uh, he could have shared, um, uh, that would have led to them maybe going together, you know, and talking to him together. That's another thing. Uh, that's a great stopper if somebody is a bit persistent. Hmm, not quite why you're sharing that with me, but I'll tell you what, let's go together so that you can share it with the person that you're talking about and then we can seek to see resolving that. See, this is not being God's clever clogs or a sort of policeman. This is recognising that the Bible says the spirit is willing. We actually have inside us a desire to get it right. The spirit is willing, it's the flesh that is weak. So we're serving in a positive way one another in that. He could have shared how Zach's questions had led him to start questioning Richard's value as a person. So then Zach would have been made aware of the impact that he was having. Uh, this is about open, honest conversation, uh, which is helpful. Um, and of course, he could have asked any of the questions that the narrator was asking. Okay, what was in Zach's control? Well, it's true to say he couldn't change Richard. But can, he can choose to change himself, yeah? Couldn't change Richard, can't do that, can't change somebody else. But we can choose to change. And here's the wonderful, wonderful thing, and I always get thrilled about this. We make a choice to change, and God empowers us and enables us to do that. We make the choice, he gives us the power. Whatever it is, whether it's to love, whether it's to forgive, we make a choice to do it because we say and we know this is what God wants. And then we are relying on him because he's the one who changes how we really are. Not just the sort of weasel words that we speak, but actually how we are. Changes us how we feel, how we actually are from the inside. So he couldn't change um, Richard, but he could make a change himself. Asking God to give compassion, praying for God to increase my love rather than limited, limiting Richard's annoying behaviour. Yeah, that's a, Lord, give me more of your love. Help me to see that actually the spirit is willing, but the flesh is getting in here. Uh, because from a positive position, we are far more able to be used of God and to help the person that we have the opportunity to help. Could speak to Richard about his concerns and be willing to look beyond the behaviour uh, to the need and speak the truth and, and life um, into this deeper need. How can I bless Richard in this? Could be a good way to start off. Right, another one. Surely telling Zach to hold his tongue doesn't help him change if he's already ashamed of his attitude. Uh, hmm. Well, who thinks we should do that? Button it, Bill. Who's in favour of that? 
Okay. Who's in favour of, oh, well, you know, he, he doesn't really mean anything bad. Just let him, just let him speak. Okay, nobody in favour of that. So we're a little bit stuck on this one. Uh, hmm. So we don't want him to shut up or telling him to change. Doesn't help him change if he's already ashamed of his attitude. Okay, so we're not going to just let it go on and we're not going to say, you need to, you need to stop this. We are there to serve, we're there to help, to say, what do you think, how do you think God might help us to improve this situation? Let's think, what, what, would, what would God give us to do here? Uh, because this doesn't seem to be helping you, it's not helping me, and it's certainly not doing anything for him. Because every time we do that, every time we say, Lord, what, what, what's to do here? What is your mind? You can guarantee that God's going to help and intervene. This is not something that we're out on a limb trying to do on our own. This is what is pleasing to God. Right, next one please, Alex. If I want to bring a God resolve, but the other person only wants to vent, are we gossiping? Uh, it depends if we get on to bring... The godly resolve. And the godly resolve has got to start with, wait a minute, this is not going to resolve anything. It's about being honest, upright, and straight and direct. Uh, and if the other person just... It's, it's kind of uh, satisfying the soul to kind of vent and moan. doesn't actually do anything of a positive nature. We're feeding the wrong thing. Instead of uh, submitting to the Spirit, we're feeding something which really needs to be brought under the authority of God by being led by the Spirit. All right, one more. Is it okay to let someone talk if it helps them get issues off their chest? Hmm. No. Because unless you go to the, the, the real issue, they'll have something else on their chest the day after tomorrow. Got to deal with the thing. They can't just sort of push it, uh, like sweep it under the carpet. Basically, no. That's not, not helpful. It's helpful to guide and assist and serve the person to handle things rightly, um, but just to let, uh, let them get it off their chest, no. I don't see a biblical basis for that. I see a biblical basis for uh, confessing as a prelude to requiring forgiveness, uh, uh, to being honest about where we stand. Because, do you know, it never ceases to amaze me how much mess God can cope with. He doesn't, I mean, it doesn't spoil his day because we bog up. It, it doesn't put him into a flat spin because we're in a mess. He is God. And he copes with it, not just in order to put up with it, but to actually bring us help and resolve. Okay. Did any of those answers help anybody? Was anybody interested in those questions? And were the answers 
I mean, I'm looking for a mark out of ten for the answers. So this week I want to talk to you about something which is so, so important. I'm calling it practicing the presence. Uh, Because we can talk about the presence of God as though it's something sort of out there somewhere. But my whole point is that it's in our priority, in our portion, what God's given us to actually live in the practice of it, not just in the theory about it. Um, I'm reading from Exodus chapter 33, a couple of verses. This is a conversation between Moses and the Lord. Then Moses, this is Moses speaking to God, he said, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. We ain't going to move. We don't want to move from here unless it's with your presence. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? I think that's a question that should be right in front of us all the time. What else? What else would we want to distinguish us from anybody else? Well, I go to church, yeah. I go to the pub. Well, I worship, where I play cricket. I mean, you know, that, that doesn't distinguish There's something absolutely vital and critical for us in terms of the presence of God. Accept your presence above anything else, above anything that seemed good, pleasant, or beneficial. Moses had the focus that God wants us to have that your presence, your presence is what we want above anything and everything else. Can we ask God to hear us? Lord, will you hear us? We're making a declaration. Lord, it's not new, but we're saying again, more than anything else, your presence is what we live for, what we must have. There is no substitute to that. It's absolutely vital. Sometimes when we start off on a Sunday, I talk about the promise of God. When we come together, when we're together, for his name's sake, he promises to be with us. To me, I trust to you that his presence is more important than anything else we do. Whether it's we've got a good band or singers or worship leader or the things we hear. Look at those things we've heard today. But if we had all that, and we were making impact into the community around about us, and we were having great times of singing and things like that, and we didn't have the presence, I trust I would move out of here pretty quick, because that's the thing. And if we set our hearts, and clearly set our hearts, it helps us to focus and never to settle for anything, anything less. Uh, anything different we must have as a priority the presence of God more important than all the mechanics and we thank God for the things thank God that we can come together just imagine if I was in this place on my own I could still worship God 
that there's something about coming together and there's something about two or three being together in his name. It's in the Bible, so it must be right. But never, 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 never by the grace of God shall we take our, our sight off the real issue of knowing him, knowing his presence. And I'm not just talking about meetings, you understand that. That anything else, and praise God for the good things that he gives us and the opportunities to serve and the demonstration of him confirming his word with science following, but the reality of his presence is absolutely top and vital. Yeah? That's what we came for. That's why he drew us to himself that we might know him, power of his resurrection. That's our purpose. And we can get deflected from that. Not about how wonderful the instruments are or anything like that. Because if we, if we have the form but not the substance, do you know one of, the, one of the most serious things that's always struck me uh, as we go through the word of God is that, is that word Ichabod. The glory or the presence of the Lord had departed and there were occasions where it wasn't realised. They were just carrying on. Everything was the same outwardly but they missed the most vital thing. Not even aware that that had happened. We never ever want to be in that. So let me define it a little bit. Um, remember I've already said it's our portion Isaiah 43 says that we are designed for this. We're designed to be a people of the presence, a people that know his glory. Glory and presence are sometimes interchangeable, not always, but often interchangeable. That, that's, what we're, that's what we're made for, that's what he called, that's before we were ever formed in our mother's womb. Basically, that was the purpose that he had, that we might know his presence. That's how we're built. And we only come in to being really human, really in what God has designed us for when we actually experience his presence and the reality of that. Colossians chapter 1 speaks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, Lo or surely I am with you always. That constant of presence. See, let's remind ourselves, we ain't talking about some belief system. We're not talking about some doctrine, some particular doctrine or understanding of anything, whether it's the Holy Spirit or it's God or how we should be, community. It's not about that. They're all valid and useful things that God has given to us. This is not a moral system. This is not about studying. I mean, moral is good. Studying is helpful. But this is, this is not that. This is what God does. It can't, can't be learned. You, know, you, you can read the Bible through umpteen times. You won't learn the presence of God. You learn about it but this is something that God plans that we actually experience. And that it's a recurring, constant experience. Something that's always there. And neither can it be measured, oh, I really, I really felt something. I, I got goosebumps. 
you know. Ooh. We, look, we're body, soul and spirit. God has made us. We can feel things. We can have emotions. You know, God designed it, but that is not the determination why I didn't really feel. Hmm. I didn't shake enough. Yes. It's the wrong assessment system. It doesn't work like that. Not spooky either. It's very real. How do we know? Do you know what the Bible says about how you measure love for God, closeness to God, presence of God? It's very, very simple. How much we love. Not only him, but how much we love one another. What is our heart towards one another? You know, I... I know I've said to you before, but I want to tell you again, I have never been refreshed in the presence of God without that there was a clear, consistent, distinctive. And do you know what that was? I come out of that place with a a new measure of love for the brethren, love for one another. And biblically, that's a very, very good Um, assessment, measuring factor to help us in that. And of course, if we turn to the scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about you can have all these things, but we haven't got love. I'm equating that freshness of love with the presence of God. You can't separate those two things. God is love. His presence is going to produce love. it's going to be the primary characteristic. There's no no way around that. Talks the Bible, if you remember, when when the children of Israel were going into the land, they had to follow the ark. The ark is the representation of the presence of God. Uh, That's that's the guiding factor that his presence is with us constantly. It's God's plan, God's purpose. There's a, um, a scripture that I've often quoted... Unfortunately, you have to give me a little bit of license because I mostly learned them uh, in, the, in the King James. So, <laughs> so I tend to quote things. Do you know what? When I'm looking up something, even in the Bible program or concordance or something like that, I have to look it up in the King James because that's the bit I remember. So, um, and this is Psalm 73. I'll, I'll try and give it to you in the NIV. But uh, it's talking about, uh, it's Asaph talking. And in fact, uh, um, I think it was Jamie showed me the other day, or sent me the other day, Bill Johnson saying something on this. It was very good. Uh, Let's just look at that. Um, But let me quote it first. Uh, My steps had well nigh slipped. Was it? No, I can't even get it right now. Because I've been looking at it in the, in the NIV. It's basically um, almost gone. Lost it. Don't know. To turn on. No presence of God for me. And it's, it's a very serious lament. Let me, let me read it to you. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold. My steps are well nigh gone. That's the, that's the King James. Basically, this is the psalmist saying, Ooh, I'm, I, I seriously miss the way. This is not about 
This is not about knowing the presence of God. And what happens? He goes into this lament about, you know what? All these people around me, all these in the world, they're all doing better. Everything's going nice. I look, I, everything's going wrong for me. I mean, you read it and you feel miserable uh, just reading it, you know? It's such a, uh, an awful situation. And yet he's being real. And uh, then he comes to this point. I'm going to jump down because I don't want to depress you. Jumping down to verse 17. And he goes through and he's talking. Um, by the way, when he talks about the sanctuary, he ain't talking about a building. Do you understand that, don't you? I find it bizarre when people refer to their church buildings as the sanctuary. God, get a life. That, that's nonsense. It's a building. God doesn't dwell. He says it very clearly in buildings made by hand. No. So the sanctuary is the presence of God. And he says uh, in, in verse uh, 17, and he's gone through all this, and he's got this sort of really black view and um, pretty... Uh, distorted view really um, and then he says this but till, verse 17 till I entered the sanctuary of God then I understood there's something about the presence of God that keeps us in a place of a place of clarity a place of accuracy Outside of that, we're subject to distortion. We're subject to getting things the wrong way around, getting the wrong end of the stick, seeing things from a kind of personal viewpoint rather than a God viewpoint. We're in a very difficult place to embrace the promises of God, the will of God, the purpose of God, even the mind of God outside of his presence. We are not designed to actually exist or live outside of his presence. He sees, the psalmist sees in this, the enemy being blessed. But you see, no giant looks big when you come into the presence of God. When you're in the glory of God, the presence of God, the giants don't look so big. Haven't you ever experienced this? When you're in the presence of God, you know, Think of some of the things you faced. I'm just looking at Tanya sitting there. You know, when she faced all that health thing, that was a big thing. But what a place she found in the presence of God. I mean, we're talking something here that is fundamentally powerful, efficacious. I just gave you that word for those of you that like uh, the extended vocabulary it's real and you can't describe it oh I wish I could describe it I wish I could describe it in such a way that everybody jumped up and said let me have it now it's indescribable you have to taste it you have to experience it but it's in the plan and purpose of God that we have continual and re recurring refreshings in his presence. And then we see things as they really are. 
no longer subject to distortion. I mean, this psalmist, I'm saying he, he sounds pretty miserable, but he sounds pretty cheesed off as well. Then he comes into the sanctuary, into the presence of God. He sees things in a completely different light. Then it really doesn't matter what others have got. You're not impressed any longer by the size of the problem. And this thing that starts with a jealous desire for what others have got and the portion of others, other people ends with the presence of God. And in the presence of God, he gains everything that is required. It's called contentment. Oh, what a place in his presence. And the good news is that God is at work in us. The only reason we'll ever desire God, the only reason we'll ever desire his presence, the only reason we'll ever desire to do something to please him is because he is at work in us, both to create the desire and to enable us to do what is pleasing to him. Dawn was reminding me the other day of something I spoke on a long time ago about um, using the computer. I, I still have quite a, a, a regular experience of this. I try to do something and it does that, that sort of gong thing. You know, now, unfortunately, I experience that far too often. You can't do what you want to do. You can't go that way what I call the warning gong, back off. It's God's goodness. It's part of his presence. That you know, uh, uh, uh. Not that, not that. This is not a conversation to continue. This is not something to continue to listen to. Uh, what you're giving out is not something that's going to bless. It's something that's going to uh, contaminate. In his presence, anybody know what's in his presence? Bornness of joy, yeah. Anybody prefer to be happy than sad? Try again. Anybody like joy? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, all right, okay. Practicing his presence, to know him, not just about him, not someone somewhere up there, but the reality of his presence. If you, of course, if you love someone, you want to spend time in their presence. Isn't that true? Let's look at, um, here's a, it's a good psalm for this, Psalm 23, so familiar. Enjoyed singing that song in recent times. There's a little bit about how we do it, yeah? You interested in that? Have I whetted your appetite that, you know, well, we've got to have the presence of God, yeah? This is about practicing. The Lord, okay, there's the starting point. He's in charge. It's what he wants. It's his way that goes. The Lord is my shepherd. It's a constant, living, faith-filled, real role. Not there for meetings. He's my shepherd. He's there constantly. The shepherd, what does the shepherd do? I'm just going to go uh, quickly through this just to, to kind of get us into the, the, the practice, the how. Uh, what does the shepherd do? He feeds the sheep. He protects the sheep, guides them, cares for them, directs them. And remember, when the scripture's talking, it's talking about the, 
the eastern shepherd doesn't have an ATV that, uh, that comes up behind him or a few dogs. He goes in front and they follow. Follow the lead. Yeah? Very, very important. Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I should not be in want. Know his presence when we look to him for provision. Uh, opposite when we strive for our own. If it's for our good, he provides. Easy for us, relatively. I'm just talking this week with Lawrence in Zimbabwe. The bond dollar, their currency, which started off equal to the US dollar. Anybody believe that was going to stay? When we were there in January, it was about um, three, to, three bond dollars to one. Now in June, it's eight. And they're still getting paid in bond dollars. Or if they get paid at all, those who've got jobs. It's the same God. I say to people, I don't know how you live. See, with my mentality coming from our, uh, our Western um, culture and climate, how do you do it? How do you live? Say that, we're talking with Prince and, and Mary. How do you live? I shall not be in want. Lie down in green pastures. He leads me, makes me lie down in green pastures. That gives me the, the feeling of a place of rest. Is it you? I bet when you ladies were climbing those mountains the other day, where are you? Where's Lucy? Oh. I bet for, no, you wouldn't because you're so much into climbing the mountains, but I bet there were some with you that would have liked to find a green pasture and just lay down and have a little rest. I know you wouldn't have allowed it, but uh, get up. Come on, you can do it. It's a place of rest. Anybody like rest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what his presence does. Knowing his presence. Lifting weariness. He leads me beside quiet waters. Waiting upon him, renewing. That's the place of renewal. Quiet waters, still times. That's what I think of as quiet waters. Be still and know that I'm God. Guys, practicing the presence means there's got to be times where we actually say, you know what, I'm just coming aside. I just need to know his presence. Don't need a meeting for that. Just need a meeting with him. Yeah? Yeah. And we just know his presence, that place of refreshing, that place of renewal. Safe place. Quiet waters speak of a safe place. Some funny places can be safe places, still places, times of coming into his presence. See, I'm using, I'm talking from this psalm and I'm thinking about still waters and green pastures and things like that. What I want us to understand, we ain't got to go out and try and find somewhere in Dagnum that's got a quiet water and a bit of grass, you know? We've got to understand, yes, there are times of coming aside into a pleasant place. But this is about coming into the presence of God. This is an intentional thing. One of the weirdest experiences I had, uh, anybody thought of the M25 in Russia as being a quiet place of still waters. can be a very stationary place, but I think God was just showing me something. And there I am, and the presence of God. And I thought, I can't think of a less suitable, likely place. 
but I'm dealing with God. He's God of the whole earth. You know, M25 can't keep out his presence. The actual reality of experiences is his presence. And people are trying to cut in and flashing their lights behind you. I'm just in strange places. What about this? The presence of God in silence. No songs, no music, nothing. Again, personally, I would say to you, maybe the most powerful experience. These are dramatic experiences, all right? The presence of God in Dawn's parents' front room. Not generally a quiet, um, conducive, uh, gentle atmosphere, some of you would know. But what about coming, just waiting? Presence of God, so, so real. These are dramatic times. They're not, everything's not dramatic. That I was frightened to reach out my hand because I felt I might touch God. That's how real it was. Hmm. That's many years ago. And I can remember it, and it was as stark today as it was then. But then, let's cut away, not only from, you know, nice babbling brooks and grassy places, and dramatic things. God is with us. He promised to never leave us or forsake us. So he's with us in any place. We turn aside, and he's there. Lord, I want to practice your presence. I want to live it. I want to know it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear somebody talking about it. don't want people saying how wonderful it is. I want to experience it. I want to experience that myself. Not just once, but as a lifestyle. I'm giving you some examples so that you understand. I'm just using things from my own experience. So you understand, there's a variety of ways. It's not a set way. There were occasions. Many of you remember Noel Woodruff. Yeah? Uh, and I did a lot of stuff with him. There were times when we experienced in a conversation, it was, you had to say, wait a minute, somebody else has just joined this conversation. I can remember in a lift in a hotel, something like that happening. <coughs> The presence of God. It went beyond. I mean, he's got an amazing vocabulary and brilliant ability. And, but it went beyond that. So something that God was then just downloading. The presence of God can come in any form and any place and any time. It guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Hallelujah. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Restores my soul. Wow. Let me quickly move on. Safe places, places that he gives to us. Restoring my soul. Builds up, it builds up the inner, the thing that nothing else can. Guides me in paths of righteousness. Helps me to stay away from distortion, <clears throat> making the wrong responses, and the wrong decisions. Restores my soul, guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Not so we're holier than others, but so that we can... Do you know this presence is like a... Just like that check. 
Yeah, it just helps us. The Bible says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. There's a wonderful translation, I forget which it is now, I think it might be in the Living Bible. Let, it, let the peace of God umpire. Makes, be the one who makes the decisions which way to go. Circumstances can be bad. Uh, as we read in that Psalm 73. Uh, but peace is still possible. And still know his presence is stronger than anything else. Fear no evil. Not, there's no evil that's strong enough to drive out his presence. His presence, because it's God himself, is stronger. And you're with me. You are with me. Always. We can sometimes turn away, but he's always there. The rod and your staff comfort me. Amen? Yes. Rod and staff, they comfort me. Yeah. Just a reminder, again, talking about in the, in the sort of shepherd's thing, the shepherd's crook, shaped in that way so that it can rescue. Got the hook so it can rescue the lambs. But it's also a pretty hefty stick. Dogs or whatever come, get a wallop from that. You know, it's what, I mean, God will do whatever to actually care for us and protect us and anoint my head with oil. Uh, prepare a table. Not remove from the presence. Remove, prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He doesn't promise to take us out. He promises his presence that takes us through in that place. And his goodness follows all the days of our life. And dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What does that mean? We're back to the first thing. To know the continual nature of his presence. Let's go back to where we started. If your presence doesn't go with us, Lord, don't want to go. Don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? I'm going to ask you to do something. I want us to do this as a church. I want us to make a commitment that is basically that, that verse. I don't want to go. Unless... Unless you go with us. I want us to make a commitment to that, to the presence of God. I don't care what adjustments we need to make, how we need to do things differently, what things we need to add, what things we need to subtract. I really don't really care about that. That we might have greater sense, more experience, being refreshed in his presence, turning from any, being subject to distortion, because of the lack of his presence. That to me seems absolutely critical. See, we're much better equipped to talk about God if we're refreshed in his presence, if we're knowing him. We need to be a people that are known by his presence, just like Moses was saying there. Distinguished by that, so that we can point to him, not just to some thing that's doing, all of which is good, but point to his presence. To which end? I'm looking to God to see how can we create, how can we leave space for his presence because there's no substitute for it. How does he relate to us? He relates to us in such a way that we can say, Abba, Father. It's a closeness, very intimate place of his presence. And no formula for this, guys. We want the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, but you know, without the fruit of the Holy Spirit, without the presence of God, we're lost. We need to be prepared to listen. See, if you think, going back just quickly, Moses there with the burning bush. Basically, that wasn't a, a fantastically unusual thing. 
But there was a point in which he turned aside. And it's the turning aside that prepares us for the presence. That readiness to say, oh, turn from this in order to gain that. (coughs) Preparing to listen, the time to be still. I don't know. Come on, guys. Think with me about this. Do we really want to keep going without God's presence? And I'm not saying we're not experiencing it. Don't take it the wrong way. I'm saying if we're understanding this, there's more. And it's great to have more of lots of things, but more of his presence is primary. And only by his grace can we enter into that. As we make that commitment, that's what I'm asking as a people, that we join together and make that commitment that Moses was making. Accept your presence goes with us. So that as one, we're saying, your presence is primary. Lead us and help us and guide us in that way. Will you agree with me that we make that commitment?